0: All right, guys, welcome to CLD Talks. I'm your host, Connor Maxwell. Today, I'm speaking Alan Mackey, who's a lecturer for Dundee University. So, Alan, it would just be great if you could tell us just a wee bit about yourself and your career in CLD so far. Oh, well,
1: great. Thanks, Connor. and thanks for having me on. It's uh, really appreciated. Uh, nice to meet you. So, yeah, so, uh, so, yeah, I'm Alan Mackey. And I'm a lecturer at Dundee University in community education. So I started there back in November. So I'm relatively new to the team at Dundee. Uh, before that, uh, well, going well back uh, to oh, I don't know. Uh, I didn't say uh, to give away my age. I think Connor, but probably started in CLD around about two thousand and maybe about two thousand and three, two thousand and four. Uh, where I, well, yeah, I was, uh, I kind of worked with young people for a long time uh, and then over time kind of developed my career uh, and I started off in sessional work, I think, as a lot of people do, so just working kind of weekends and evenings with young people and then, you know, got a got a full-time position working with young homeless people and over time then moved into to kind of work with young people around employability, working with adults with mental health issues and then uh, went to universities to do my undergraduate degree in 2007 that was at Murray House in Edinburgh, uh, graduated in 2011 and then left and worked in employability again with Fife Council uh, that was working in Dunfermline and Bellingery and around uh, that area of Fife. And then went back, got, managed to get a, I was really fortunate to get an ESRC funding scholarship to do my master's and PhD. So I'd started that in 2014, uh, started my master's, done a one year master's in educational research methods, and then uh, done my PhD at Mar- the, the, again at Murray House. Uh, and yeah, finished my PhD in 2019, and then worked as a uh, and work and then got a job as a teaching fellow at Murray House. Uh, so working with the students there for a couple of years, and then as I say, just uh, last November, there December got the full time lecturer post at Dundee. So a kind of big mix of practice and academia. Uh, yeah. I don't know if that's,
0: that makes sense, Connor. Yeah, you no, know, and, and, you know, it's, it's quite interesting as well how you've, you've dabbled, I suppose, in the multiple disciplines within CLD, so it wasn't just a full youth work background or a full adult background. You've, you've done a bit of everything, so for bringing that into then lecturing and teaching, that's really valuable to the students to then hear about that sort of experience
1: yeah yeah I suppose it's one of the things about like our discipline I suppose is that for all the lecturers that have worked alongside you know everyone's got that kind of mix of practice and sort of academic background I know at Dundee here you know we've got a staff team who have got a rich kind of uh, professional background you know I think everyone kind of has a rich professional background before coming into the kind of ivory tower of academia as it were you know and it's I think it's important you know that uh, we don't lose sight of that uh, certainly I know the students appreciate it you know quite often you know one of mo- one of the most kind of common uh positive feedbacks that I get from students is that you know that that I'm able to kind of relate the material that we teach you know to practice and recent practice as well you know and I mean even over the time doing my PhD you know I was, I've been teaching now for about six years because I was teaching all throughout my PhD and uh and I was volunteering at the same time, you know, because I think it's really important that we don't lose kind of touch with the practice environment. You know, it's quite easy, I think, for us to get a bit lost in academia and we kind of lose touch with what's actually going on in the field. You know, knowing the way that we can keep up with that is through our students going on placements and what have you, you know. But I don't think there's any substitute for yourself, you know, continuing to be immersed in the field as it were to to be able to make those kind of important links between the theoretical kind of theoretical ideas that we kind of teach at university and how they relate to the practice environment, you know, because otherwise, uh, you know, the two can get a bit lost, if you like, you know, like lost in translation, if you like, Connor, you know.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I, I think it's really important that you still do that because I think that the young people that we're working with today and the families that we're working today have got a little maybe similar issues, but how they perceive themselves and how they sort of, look is completely different and how then we need to add how we need to try and understand the young people and work with them is different now especially when you add in um tiktok because you know tiktok's the tiktok is life
1: (laughs) (laughs) well this is the thing is this is the thing that i kind of laugh at is the kind of cultural aspects of working with young people that kind of get lost you know like i was saying you know i'm a certain age now you know where you know, I used to think I was kind of young and I still had my finger on the pulse, but you know, you quickly, uh, it's its its amazing how quickly that changes and, uh, and how uh, completely not on the pulse I am these days, corner man, you know, so. Uh, uh, the other day uh, I get
0: know, slagged, it was a belter, <laughs> to be fair, um, it was, we are talking about Snapchat and I had, when Snapchat came out, you know, so I'm only 28, so, oh no, I'm 27, I'm 28 this year, I think. Ah, whatever. I'm one of them. <laughs> so, but either way, so like, I had Snapchat. I don't have it anyway. I never re downloaded it because none of my mates use it or whatever. But I'd asked a question about it, and it was something to do with streaks. And then I, basically, what I've learned is streaks are to do every day. I think it is that then you send a, a message to each other or a photo to each other, so then that gets counted up in days. I was just, oh, so what does that mean? And see the looks that I got. It was like. Are you having a laugh? You don't know what that is. And it was a total moment where i it was the first time that I've ever experienced that moment of, oh no, have I turned into the old one? I've of touch. what has happened to you, you know? And Snapchat's... All right,
1: granddad. Yeah. Ah,
0: it was a total. And honestly, I knew that group of lassies just now keep slating me. So they, they? I've seen them a couple of times since, and they're just like, can't believe you don't know what Snapchat is. But it's, it's a massive thing that... They are, that, although you know what it is you know roughly what the app does but the wee mechanics yeah. like that you're totally just like well I don't really get I had that. that
1: moment I had that moment when I, I called Stormzy Stromzy by mistake one day by the young people and honestly it was like you know the next sort of two months was just like I was just getting ripped by the young people oh Alan you know I'm listening to Stromzy in my earphones at the moment do you want to have a listen Stromzy this and Stromzy that and I'm like god man I wish I would you know <laughs> Uh, And it is that moment of like, God, I'm a granddad. And the young people had never heard of Led Zeppelin. You know, they were asking what kind of music I'm into. And I was like talking about Led Zeppelin and Metallica and kind of bands that I was, you know, listening to when I was growing up, you know, and uh, they were just like, who? And I was like, God, it's time for, yeah, maybe it is time for me to retire to the Ivory Tower of Academia. But no, you've, uh, but, you know, but in all seriousness, seriousness, though, I think it's, uh, yeah, I do think it's important. To have that kind of bridge between the
0: two, you know? Yeah, even definitely. if you are a granddad, Connor, you know? <laughs> Aye, and you know, it's just even knowing some of the names. We had done a, we done a mu it was music, because is the best example. Like they play loads yeah. of, like, sort of loads of different things, but we we done a session over the summer. Um, no, it was, it was two summers ago, so it wasn't this summer. And it was just about, sort of, everybody picked their favorite song, just like you would know, be in an Alexa or Google, like at a party type thing. And then I played the Foo Fighters. And then it was oh, a total, yeah. just like, what? What are you doing? <laughs> and it was like, I know this is proper music, and at the time Foo Fighters was my favorite band, and it was just when they were playing Glasgow Green as well. So then, um, oh, yeah. so I was just like, no, oh, they're brilliant, so so good. Then it was a total like, no, we we don't do that. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but George Ezra was picked, which is good I enjoy George Ezra. So, oh yeah, uh, that was a summer of shotgun, which was just non nonstop. <laughs>
1: I should say, in defence of some of the young folk, uh, not, not that it's my job to defend them, but there was a couple of them knew who Zeppelin was. I met, And there was one young, there was a young a young woman who said to me, oh, they're, they're my dad's favourite band. And that made me feel even older, you know, so anyway... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm 41 now, just to just to be upfront about it. So yeah, I, I need to yeah, I just need to get on board with that. I think Connor, you know.
0: Yeah. Uh, so what we what we've learned here is we both need to download Snapchat and TikTok, and we need to start getting streaks with each other, so that we're we're in there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I downloaded Spotify last month actually for the first time, and so I'm getting suggestions. So I feel like I'm getting back into the groove a little bit. But I'm not actually a youth worker because I just had a, a baby recently, so uh, all my time is dedicated to to. to you know, to my second child as well, you know, so it's, uh, I suppose that'll come in handy when I can finally have the time to go back into practice, you know, so whenever that'll be, you know, when oh. I get some sleep. Ay,
0: fingers crossed. Fingers <laughs> crossed for you, man. Um, so why did you start a career in CLD in the first place?
1: Yeah, so going, I suppose it goes back to that moment. Uh Yeah, I so at the time, like well, this is going back to maybe like I say about two thousand and one, two thousand and two. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, I was actually working for the Inland Revenue at the time, uh, which is the, the HMRC now. So uh, kind of a tax investigation, and uh, I was on a fast track scheme with them uh, to move into management and. But unfortunately, it was the, the, the kind of chicken and egg situation uh, where, you know, I wasn't able to get into a management position without a managerial experience. So in their wisdom, they sent me on to, uh, to be uh, an assistant team leader at, with the Prince's Trust. Cool. Uh, uh, which I think is still ongoing. I mean, I, th- I think the scheme that I was involved in, this, I mean, I know the Prince's Trust is still ongoing, but I think the scheme I was involved in still, still goes on. So at the time, it was uh, what I was doing was I was working with a group of young people in East Lothian uh, and they were on a 12-week programme. Uh, and I think the focus of it was employability. And so I was working with a team leader uh, at the time uh, who was a, a policeman, actually. And it was the two of us were kind of uh, overseeing the group. And uh, so that was, in, you know, from the HMR, so from Inland Revenue's point of view, it was. I was getting those management skills of being able to work with these young people. Now, it was a bit of a baptism of fire because you've got to understand that at the time, you know, my knowledge of this kind of work was zero. Mm-hmm. And so I was put into this group of, you know, young people who, you know, for want of a better word, were, you know, they were pretty challenging young people, you know, uh, all from kind of, you know, uh, challenging backgrounds and what have you you know and now I've got the kind of theoretical and practice analysis to be able to kind of understand what was going on but at the time it was like you know I had chairs thrown at me, I had a knife pulled on me, I'd, you know all these kind of things you know which at the time I was just had no idea what I was doing really you know but 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 you know I really enjoyed the work this was the thing and I actually hated my job at the Inland Revenue but uh, you know, going back, even further back, you know, I left school, with no qualifications. I was absolutely non-academic an and my options at the time in terms of a career or whatever were limited. I mean, I wasn't even, I didn't even have a kind of vision of a career, you know, I was just living day to day kind of thing, Connor, you know, because of the background that I come from, I had no ambition as it were, you know, so uh, Beyond just you know maybe moving up uh, doing the best I could within the M1 revenue and that involved going to the Prince's Trust you know and and I ended up those twelve weeks were trans you know transformative for me I absolutely loved it and uh, and afterwards you know I had a real I, I had the buzz about it and I was kind of looking into well how can I continue to be involved in this work you know and for a lot of the young people on the program of course I recognised myself you know I, that, that those were the kind of young people that, that was me you know back. Uh, you know, only a few years before kind of thing, you know, uh, with, you know, I, I, coming out of school with very limited options, you know, and I was kind of compelled into a, a very poor job, you know, and, you uh, but thankfully I kind of made the most of the opportunity I had but I was in a position to be able to I certainly even though I come from a very working class background you know I experienced a lot of poverty I didn't have a lot of the issues that these young people I was uh, working with at the Prince's Trust you know and I was you know, I was I was I was wise enough to recognize that if you like you know that mm-hmm. although I shared some similarities with these young people there was also some important differences you know and uh, and anyway so yeah what was I saying? I've gone off on a tangent there. So, yeah, so I was looking into other alternatives and how I could keep my hand in this kind of work. And I managed to get a... I started volunteering with Edinburgh Council uh, doing sessional youth work. At, it was at Meadowbank uh, Stadium at the time. Uh, and so I started volunteering on Friday nights with young people there. And and it just snowballed. It just snowballed. that I was working with a really encouraging worker there who... Uh, Got me into other youth work, so I was working at the. uh, I ended up working at a couple of youth clubs on other nights. So I spent. I ended up spending half my week evening week evening week nights volunteering with young people in different projects around Edinburgh. and Then started to get paid a paid role, so I ended up, uh, you know, getting. You know, I'd I'd be doing mainland revenue work during the week, and then doing a bit of paid work in the evenings. And then I was encouraged to go to university. I thought, you know, I want to make a career out of this. I hate my job at Denland Revenue. I love doing this kind of work, you know. But as we all know, the it's not you. You don't enter it for the money, you know. There's very little money to be made. We're not going to be rich in this kind of in this kind of work, you know. But I thought, if I am going to make a career out of it, well, how can I maximise? you know that uh, a life how can I make a life out of doing this kind of work you know and how can I escape land revenue and so the I was encouraged to go to university by uh, the person I was working with who who was studying at Murray House at the time actually but you know I come from a background like I was saying before where university wasn't even an option for me you know certainly when I left school a lot of my friends were all going off to university but it was never a thing for me you know none of my family went to university you know education was something that I endured Uh, I didn't I took no pleasure in it, really, you know, and I found it very difficult. Uh, and so the p- prospect of going to university, it was like a foreign language, corner, you know, so... Uh, Anyway, uh, I was kind I of compelled.
0: We were quite into... similar in that. Um, I think that how, how my sort of background was with school, and I never really left for a lot, and I'd, I pretty much disengaged really at the end there. But it was just through sessional youth work and becoming full time, um, and it was my manager at the time was just really encouraging, and um, we had a few sort of we done a few wee deals here and there, just and then the, the plan was for. Then if we don't get to complete the SEQ three, then the deal was if I passed that, then I would go to university because they'd done a lot of work for me for that. So I felt like you know I owed them that. So it was it's quite interesting actually how um, our journeys to that point at starting university are actually very similar.
1: Uh, yeah, I think it's not unusual, you know, because now that I'm obviously on the other side of it, you know, when we have got students coming in at Murray House or students applying at Dundee, you know, I'm I'm actually the kind of recruitment at admissions kind of team member here at Dundee and uh you know so I get a lot of the kind of inquiries from students and it's, it's, it's you know for our discipline our practice or whatever you know it's it's not unusual I don't think that a lot of the people who come on to do community education come from that kind of background where you know they've maybe not excelled at school and have been involved in community education as a sort of consequence if you like and but they've recognized the benefit that the discipline brings to people's lives because it's enriched their own lives you know and so it's not the case for myself you know Uh it was just really serendipity that brought me into it you know mm-hmm. but um uh, but certainly I don't think it's unusual for, you know, for us. And anyway, I didn't, because I didn't have the qualifications to go to university, you know, I was, I had to go to, my, my partner I uh, had to basically compel me to go to evening classes. So, I, you know, again, I was like, you know, uh, at the time, looking back, it's pretty crazy, but I was, you know, working full time, volunteering a few nights a week. And I was going to evening classes, you know, uh, for a year uh, to get access to go into go into university because I didn't have those qualifications you know so and yeah and then as I said before you know I got my degree and then you know continued working in the field and uh, because I've done so well at university uh, you know which is a complete shock to me uh, obviously you know that I was I was encouraged to go further with my academic uh, career which I've obviously done you know but uh, but again serendipity you know meeting meeting good people along the way, at every kind of juncture, you know, having, uh, you know, practitioners who encouraged me with the work and then having academic suit encouraged me with the academic side of things, you know, I've been really fortunate that I've had really supportive kind of guidance along the way uh, to, to to end up where I am, you know, because I'm really lucky to be where I am, you know.
0: Yeah, definitely, man. How did you find the transition from being a sort of full-time worker into becoming a lecturer? Because that must uh, be for, for me thinking about that, that, must be really, really difficult from the the hands-on, like sort of hustle and bustle, if we want to call it that, to then um being in a totally different environment where it's, you're really responsible for these people's education and the future of community education and CLD. Yeah,
1: I've never thought about that before, actually. It's a good question. Uh... I think in some regards it's not been too difficult because, you know, the same principles that I kind of use with when I was a community worker, you kind of use in the university as well, you know, because we come from a certain kind of ethos in terms of our education, our practice, you know, and about kind of, you know, building from people's lived experiences and kind of drawing on uh, people's own knowledge and understanding of the world, you know, I kind of use the same principles as I do with the students, as I do with the well, I try to anyway. Some of the students might disagree with that, Conor, but but certainly, you know, like you know, always try and relate the kind of the the issues that we're teaching uh, at university to people's own lived experience, you know. And that's something that's uh, that I, you know, when I was in practice as well, you know, working with people, you know, trying to have a real understanding of their lives and their circumstances, you know, like like I was saying before about that Prince's Trust, you know, I kind of. Uh, You know, it kind of frightens me to think about the kind of what I was doing there, my lack of knowledge and stuff, you know, because if I think back now to how I would have handled that situation, it would have been obviously completely different, you know, Mm -hmm. whereas with my employability work, for example, you know, like, you know, trying to have a real understanding of, uh, you know, the young men and the young women that work but, you know, it's like, you know, you, quite, you get quite a lot of hysteria in the in the press and what have you about, you know, young wasters and young people who don't do anything, they're not trying, they're lazy, they're feckless and all this kind of discourse that you get, you know, which is kind of the kind of thinking I had when I first started the Prince's Trust Corner, to be honest, you know, but but having that, having that experience in practice and having that kind of theoretical understanding now, it's like, well, yeah, you know, the young people aren't where they are by accident, you know, there's there's a certain kind of you know structures in place which have led to this point you know and and being able to kind of understand you know their lived experience and kind of be able to kind of well it's you know employability you know it's quite individualized in the way it, it operates you know it's about you the individual getting a job you know but I think it's important for us as practitioners that you know we're able to kind of have that kind of holistic understanding about poverty inequality discrimination stigma and all those kind of issues which are impacting on the pe- young people's lives you know and kind of tried to bring that into my practice you know and then starting from that point you know speaking to the young people uh understanding their lives and then being able to kind of work from the issues that are essentially holding them back you know but uh, you know as i'm sure as many of the people listening to this in yourself corner you know we only have so much kind of power to be able to kind of you know, do anything about what are, you know, massive, massive issues that are impacting on, you know, all of society without, you know, uh,
0: being- yeah, well, the, the big thing that we can do is we can, we can try and show the, we can show the directions, and then we can show, we can have the conversations about if you keep up certain types of behaviour, this is where you're likely to end up. And, or if you participate in this programme, then we can hopefully then get you maybe out of that cycle. And But ultimately, it's, and I think what the amazing thing is really about community education and CLD, it's, it's that choice and that element of where... Especially when it's is individualised and you work it down to the individual rather than a group work context, it really is how then they adapt to that. I think that then comes back to the relationship as well, and how the importance of actually building a solid relationship with um, young people and adults Absolutely. at that sort of deeper level than just sort of all right, how are you doing? Um, when you get when you cross that bridge and you do have that extra connection, that's when the other stuff can happen because. You get the good relationship and trust which is exactly so fundamental
1: yeah bingo exactly totally corner absolutely agree absolutely
0: agree. yeah it was just what sort of have you had any like role models or has there been md that's maybe um sort of influenced your career in a certain way that's made you maybe do something differently or doing a project or something
1: yeah, probably, probably too many to mention. I think cool. yeah, this goes back to that kind of point I was making earlier, I suppose, about having that support. You know, it's one of the things I think is really important to kind of you know, it's kind of been drummed into me anyway, kind of on a more political level. Connor is about uh, is you know fighting that rags to riches story, if you like that discourse around you know self, the self-made man. You know, it's always a man, self-made man. You know, it's like that, and, 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 and you know, it's easy, it'd be easy to fall into that trap. You know, like that you know you know i've been able to kind of you know sort of swim against the current if you like of my of my own kind of destiny as a as a young working class guy growing up in a you know grown up in poverty you know that now that I'm a, a doctorate uh, at university you know and it's it sounds really romantic but it's not true you know and i think it's important that we fight that all the way that you know nobody is self made you know that we're all receive kind of important kind of support along the way you know and I, and and i'm definitely Uh, Definitely testament to that, you know, Uh, thinking about, you know, like I was saying before about, you know, I had a a practitioner which encouraged me to go to university and that was, you know, uh, Karen Anderson, who now runs an organisation called She Scotland, you know, so I was really lucky that Karen was my first boss, if you like, in this, you know, she was my manager at Sessional at Meadow Bank, you know and as I say she was studying at the time and she was really encouraging to me really kind of encouraged me to go to university to make me believe that I could go to university you know and that it was for somebody like me to be able to go to university you know whereas I was you know I would put you know she she would talk about it and I would poo-poo it you know and uh, she really took me under her wing uh, and it was her like she was also a manager in the youth projects uh, Grantland Youth Centre <coughs> in Edinburgh and uh And yeah, so I was really lucky to meet Karen, you know, my partner, you know, my partner's from a a kind of different social background to me where university was kind of more the norm, you know, and she was also somebody who kind of encouraged me to go to, to study, you know, to be able to kind of make a career out of community education. And in terms of the more academic side of things, you know, I've had too many. Again, you know, like when I finished my undergraduate degree, for example, it was Professor Lin you know, who took me under her wing and was uh, really encouraging in terms of going on to do an MSc. And if, I mean, I didn't know what a PhD was, you know. But even when I left, finished my undergraduate, corner, you know, I didn't know what a PhD was, you know. I, I'd never heard of it, and I mean, and so you know, to have. You know professors and stuff like that encouraging me to then maybe apply to get a scholarship you know because I couldn't afford to do a PhD obviously and uh, so you know people like Lynn Tett and uh, all the staff at Murray House like May Shaw and Jim Crowther and people like that who were you know offered me nothing but encouragement uh, in my academic life and even up to now like people like uh, Professor and I've got a good friend, Akugo Kugo Julu, who's like uh, offered me, you know, sort of critical kind of academic and stimulation over the past kind of five six years. Really challenged my own kind of you know center as a kind of white male class warrior, if you like. Kind of encouraged me to think beyond that and think in terms of kind of intersectionality and those kind of things. You know, those big ideas and how. I might be able to kind of bring them into you know my own life, but also into the kind of uh, teaching that I do, Connor. You know, so, and I think you know I've got too many to list, man. You know, people, you know, like I'm saying about challenging that self-made man. That kind of no, that's not the case. You know, I, I wouldn't uh, be where I am without uh, massive amounts of kind of kind of support and encouragement every step of the kind of way. You know, from the inland revenue uh, and hating my life uh, working in an office <laughs> environment to so now, uh, you know, loving what I'm doing, you know, and I love the dis I love community education, and I love uh, working at uh, Dundee University, you know, so uh, and I've got so many people that, and I'm sure that everyone's the same, you know, we are all the same if we really, if we really reflect upon it, you know, that, uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, totally. no of course but, you know but i think it's like i think when you when you think back to especially if you're looking at like the, the career and, and how long you've done and what you've done there's so many people along the way that do just totally support and help you and i think it, it, it's nice to think back to that sometimes because it could be in that moment just such a small something but then actually how, how that can potentially like that conversation or that interaction changes you for your, the rest of your life potentially you know and it's just nice to look back sometimes and to just see sort of how people have supported yeah. or helped.
1: And I think it's really important to pay it forward as well you know so now that I'm in this quite privileged position you know like at Edinburgh I've been fortunate enough to be able to support other students you know from similar backgrounds on to other things you know and, uh, and to kind of use what very little influence I have to be able to help others you know to kind of to, to recognize that yeah I've, I've i've really benefited from it so now it's like well how can i support others to you know in the same way connor man you know so and that's what yeah. i try and do you know if i can you know i do my I, best yeah.
0: and that's so important that's so important to have that experience as well to you've been helped this way so you can then potentially then help others and pay that back man i think that's brilliant
1: i hope so yeah yeah
0: brilliant man so what was your phd in
1: uh, yeah, so I was looking at um, looking at social justice issues affecting okay. young people, so that was, so uh, I took a group of 20 young people uh, growing up in one community in Scotland, and I just, uh, so I, and I did something called narrative research with them where uh, it was like really unstructured interviews, so just, you know, sitting down with them a bit like you and I just now, man, you know, and just, to them, and just asking them about their lives, you know, tracking their lives, from, you know, from their very early, the very early lives all the way until they were speaking to me at that moment. So that was young people they were aged between 17 and 24. And then I was using like a, a, a social justice framework uh, from Nancy Fraser. So she's a famous uh, kind of noted feminist kind of theorist. And she's got a framework of social justice, which looks at uh, the kind of economic injustices, the social and kind of cultural injustices that affect and the kind of representation or political injustices. So that's about people Mm of voice being able to influence decision-making processes. And so I was looking at their kind of life stories through those kind of three spheres, if you like, the political, the social and the economic and looking at where are the injustices. And then importantly, thinking about, well, what is the youth work response to these injustices? So I also interviewed eight practitioners in the community that I was working with, eight youth work practitioners uh, to find out what were the kind of things that they could do, what were the limitations that they could, you know, what were the limitations on their ability to respond to those social injustices, if you like. And so, uh, yeah, and so that was what I was doing. And so just to give a quick rundown of my results, was that, you know, that the young people I was working with, you know, they, they there was kind of multiple injustices that the young people, you know, they were all grown up in poverty and inequality, you know, and, uh, you know, some of them, you know, were living in households where, you know, parents were having to choose between food and heating, uh, that kind of thing, you know, the young people suffered like quite a lot of stigmatization, you know, by just by virtue of being young, unemployed, you know, and they were very aware of that kind of stigmatizing discourse, you know that was around for them and you know they all none of them were interested in politics you know because they seen politics as something that was beyond their lives you know mm-hmm. there was something that was done to them you know they didn't have any influence so why should they bother you know and and uh, they weren't listened to etc and in terms of the youth worker response to that was you know that the youth workers were unable to respond to these big issues because the funding a regime which we all are, probably all, a lot of people are aware of mm-hmm. it's very tight and very narrow around kind of goals around employability and that kind of thing you know and that the practitioners found that really you know they had to work around uh, the kind of funding structures if you like to be able to respond to the kind of social justice needs that the young people were expressing you know so yeah uh, but yeah it's available for anyone to read if they're interested you know my PhD and yeah
0: yeah, I think it is interesting the idea of limitations that um, practitioners have in terms of what they can do to support young people in front of them. Um, something that I've I've never really actually thought of too much, even just from my own point of view. That um, if there is challenging behaviour or there's different things like funding, the obvious ones, but what are the other things that could potentially come up? Like potentially your environment or um. Staff team just maybe not working together, communication, and I don't know. There's so many different sort of things. It's actually it's an interesting thing for I think me to maybe look at in my current role actually. Yeah
1: I think the main thing is one of the kind of key things is just about having an awareness of these issues that are affecting young people and it's like yeah and I think like what you were saying before is about you know have one of the things that the practitioner said to me was just having the time to build relationships you know and obviously that's like the core of what we do is about building relationships with young people and for a lot of the young people we work with certainly my own experience is that you know you're just another suit you know and there's a sort of level of kind of scepticism about who you are kind of thing or cynicism if you like about well this is just another suit coming to speak to me you know I've already been involved with the police with social work so here's just another guy coming along you know and and the funding regime that the practitioners were talking to me about were very kind of time limited you know so and we know that when it comes to working with the most marginalized young people the kind of key thing you really need to build relationships is time you know and that uh, if you're working to very narrow kind of parameters in terms of the funding that you're receiving, the ability to find time to be able to build those necessary relationships is obviously severely compromised, you know? So, and that was something that I experienced in my own practice, you know, where, you know, I, I was, you know, I would be, I I was a case worker, if you like, uh, 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 a 16 plus transitions worker, it was called, I don't know if they're still around, but anyway, and, you know, I would have, you know, three months to get a young person almost, Job interview ready, Connor, you know, and it's yes. like, well, you know, this is a young person who's presenting to me today as you know, she's home. She just told me that she's just been made homeless because she comes from uh, a, a, you know, pretty disruptive home environment, if you like, you know, and and you know, and so I've just been allocated this young person who doesn't, you know, I, my first job is obviously just to get her into somewhere to live, so a safe tenancy, a safe mm-hmm. somewhere safe for the night, you know, and it's like and then I've got, what, three months to be able to get them, to get the young person ready for a job interview. Well, you know, really my job there is to begin to build a relationship with this young person, you know, and, and that can take, you know, I mean, I've worked with young people who I've worked with for six months. And, you know, you just start to crack that kind of surface, yeah. if you like, and... So, you know, and this was something that, that, that you know, it was, it was kind of reassuring to me almost in my, in my interviews with the practitioners that this wasn't something that just affected me, but it affected all of the practitioners to some degree. You know, some practitioners obviously had a greater degree of flexibility built into the kind of funding that they were being given, but yeah. it seemed to be something that was quite common across the board. And, you know, certainly speaking kind of anecdotally to practitioners, uh, you know, it, it, it's certainly not uncommon as uh, the most generous that I can be, I think, you know
0: yeah no definitely definitely um so what is the role of the university within the field just now
1: oh it's a big question it's a good one <laughs> I, I like that's it. it's a good one <laughs> i mean really i mean fundamentally it's about creating the next or working alongside the next tranche of practitioners corner you know it's about getting people good people ready for the field you know and uh, I think kind of thinking a bit bit more esoterically about it is about, it's about cementing the kind of theoretical basis of, uh, you know, of what we do and why we do it. And I think that, you know, I don't want to be too crude about it, you know, practice, certainly from my own experience, Connor, you know, is that practice can only take you kind of so far in terms of the work that we do on the ground, if you like, you know but I'm not suggesting for a second, you know, that people who don't go to university can't be good practitioners, you know, far from it, you know, and I know in our field and more generally kind of on the left, if you like, you know, there is a rich history of kind of uh, autodidactism, I think you call it, you know, a kind of self-teaching kind of thing. And, you know, people can can become critically aware, but I think the university offers a place of shared understanding, if you like, and a, a kind of intellectual environment in which we can have the time and the capacity and the, the focus to kind of really delve into kind of those big ideas about the kind of machinations of society, you know, without being too cheesy about it. And I think for us, <clears throat> I think the important thing for me in terms of community education was really to explore other disciplines, you know, and that university offered us a, offered me a kind of a, a place where I could have a more holistic understanding of uh, the kind of issues that affect people. And the communities that we work in, you know, and those disciplines, like disciplines such as politics, you know, political science, social policy, sociology, psychology. And it, And I think it also kind of can give us the, you know, a real depth of kind of research skills that we can then take in the communities. And, you know, an important thing is for us is to be able to share that knowledge with the people we work alongside, whether that's, you know, whether that's colleagues or whether that's the people that we work alongside in the communities that we work in and, uh, yeah, I think yeah. fundamentally the university offers us a kind of place where we can really get really into the kind of understanding about issues such as inequality and marginalisation and discrimination. You know, the, and I kind of think it helps us to be able to contextualise the work that we do. You know, I think that what, the, the key thing for me at university, I think, Connor, was that, you know, I, like I'm saying, I had this kind of narrow understanding about the individual. You know, the, the individual, this is, you know, this is a person I can help on an individual basis without having that kind of broader analysis about, you know, those kind of issues, like I was talking about earlier, that kind of mm-hmm. really affect the person's ability to be able to kind of, you know, pull themselves up by their bootstraps, if you like, you know, to understand that there's kind of issues going on uh, at all levels of society, which might be impacting on a person's ability to be able to pull themselves up by the bootstraps, if you like, you know, um, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah and Sorry, Connor. Oh, no, so I was just going to say, I think for university, for me, was the advent into it quite just sort of. I've said it before actually in this podcast, quite, um, I suppose, maybe arrogant about the idea of um, like university. I was quite, I was there for the C's, my 50%, and but then being in it actually really helped me sort of understand the, the, the real reasons why we do what we do and how you link theory into practice and I never thought I would be that kind of guy that get into that and um, it really <laughs> yeah, it, I really did. did and you know it totally it opened my eyes and yeah sort of wider sense of what we really do because I think I was maybe just quite it's quite maybe narrow-minded where I never would have thought I was at the time Um, whereas I think I actually getting an experience and that but also when you're in it gain it a go and no just sort of being like "Oh, it's fine because actually then when you get a go and you have those sort of deeper conversations but then when you're having the conversations and you start to understand the context more and you're able to contribute that way is totally really important and that that's where i'd found my big sort of difference was when when you start to understand the maybe the fancier words or, or the context in this way because a lot of it sometimes you sit and go i don't know what they mean you're what do you mean by that? But then when you get more comfortable, you ask the question, what does that mean? How does that link then when you can contribute? Then that's when you really see the difference. And that was for me, the big thing was just accepting, right, well, I'm here, let's get a go and let's actually put in the effort. And I'm really glad that I did. I'm really, really glad that I did because now I'm in the position I'm in now, you know, and I wouldn't have been yeah. if I, I really never gave that a go. So it's aye, it's, it's it's good.
1: It's the same as that. I mean, that is exactly the same as me. When I went, I went to university to get my certificate to practice. That is it. You know, that is it. I went to get my, you know, my ability to be able to practice, you know, and, and then, you know, it was a complete accident that I ended up really, you know, getting really into it. You know, I didn't really have quite a political bone in my body. Not really, you know, and, uh, And then being exposed to these ideas and these concepts and stuff like that. And it's something that I come across all the time with the students as well. You know, again, this is not uncommon. You know, it's that students come with the idea. and Some students come almost with a kind of anti-intellectual streak, if you like. You know, they're not interested. You know, I'm just here. But then, you know, at some point in the journey, a light bulb goes on. And it's like, and suddenly, you know, they get it and it's... uh, And yeah, it's like yourself, I don't want to be arrogant about it, you know, university isn't for everybody, you know, it it definitely isn't, you know, and uh, and God knows I can testify to that, you know, given my own background, but I do think that, you know, yeah, I don't think people should write it off, and I... And I think the other thing I was going to say, Connor, just about the it's not all about theory, you know, it's you know that you know at university we scaffold students' experiences in terms of practice placements, you know, and that each year that goes by, you know, students are exposed to greater responsibility in the field, but you know, but that kind of mix of theory and practice, you know, which Friere, you know, well, you know, Frieri talks about in terms of the praxis cycle is about that kind of ability to have the the, the space to be able to go into practice, go into your placement and then come back to university, you know, we talk about the theory about all these big ideas and then you go back into placement and kind of really have that kind of reflection, practice and new knowledge kind of cycle going on. You know, for students themselves and, and, and they're able to kind of then take those big ideas into into practice and think, well, what does this actually mean, you know, and they're able to kind of make those big connections that, that show that, yeah, these things have purchased in people's lives, you know, and that you're able to kind of, you know, as I say, take those big ideas into practice and you can share them with, with colleagues you can share them with the people that you work alongside, you know, and uh, uh yeah. Yeah, and we're there to support and encourage students to reflect on their values as well. You know, I know community education is all about, you know, values, about our values, about... And it's something I always encourage students to, to reflect upon is, you know, the, the kind of mix, if you like, between their own values, the values of the kind of political kind of state of affairs that we're in just now and, you know, the placement values that they're on. So if they're in practice, what are the values of the of the agency that they're working alongside, you know, and, and sometimes these values can clash. And I think it's important that students have the space and the tools that university offers to be able to kind of really reflect on that kind of interplay of values as well and to... And to, again, to bring in the kind of theory that we talk about into those kind of conversations about, well, where do our values lie when it comes to things like employability? <clears throat> or, when, you know, I, I always kind of challenge the students to kind, of, uh, to kind of really critically analyze the language of CLD around kind of things like resilience or empowerment and the way that these terms can sometimes be used. I think personally, in quite a kind of negative way, you know, and that it's important for us to be able to kind of think carefully about the work that we're doing. If it is around kind of things like empowerment and resilience, you know, like what does resilience mean for somebody grown up, uh, a young person grown up in severe hardship, you know, and what does resilience mean? You know, maybe for a young person who's grown up in a in a place where they're not facing as many challenges as that other young person, Connor. You know, so I think just being able to have that kind of critical capacity to be able to kind of think carefully about the work that we're doing in the field. You know, I think that you know, it's I think it's university's role to be able to kind of arm uh, students with the tools to be able to do that, if you like. You know, so I don't know if that makes sense. I hope I've yeah. I, I know course. it totally
0: does. It totally does. Um it's, it's interesting that you mentioned language um because in the podcast that I've recorded just previously, we 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 chat a wee bit about language and a bit about the sort of terminology that we use to like, maybe how you write things or how you speak about things, or what can alternatives be? So, maybe because a lot of the things can sound very negative, and what, how would you think? And maybe even just changing the thinking of a wee bit about, I suppose, if you write that and that young person reads that, how will they feel? So, and just having this sort of idea, you know, of being maybe a bit more aware of the words that we put out there and how we say and deprivation. We yeah, it's a big one, isn't it? Yeah,
1: totally. Deprived young people is a bugbear of mine, you know. Talking about people in those terms, is quite yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, I think it's really important. But again, you don't have to go to university for that, corner, You know, you can. Those are kind of those, those are kind of critical conversations you can have in the field as well. And yeah. You
0: know, and I, I yeah. think it's maybe something that cause it's cropped up a couple of times recently. So I think that there's maybe something to maybe do run about that you know there there might be a a conversation to be had run about the use of language and what do we use and i think different areas and different local authorities and uh, third sector organizations we all use different things so uh, is there a streamlining in that that might be a massive job but you know you never know you never know
1: well, we have those conversations all the time and how we talk about our, you know, is it service users, is it clients or is it just people, you know, uh, or is it just people, you know. So those are kind of conversations we're always having uh, at university, you know, about uh, how we talk about the people we work alongside, you know, and uh, yeah, and but there, there can be quite some some quite passionate discussion about them. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I think there's definitely, uh, there's definitely uh, something to be, to be said for that, Connor. Yeah, I totally agree with you, man.
0: Yeah, definitely. We'll, we'll maybe put a tweet out when this comes out <laughs> and we'll, we'll see Get what people table. say. Aye, that's it. That's it. Um, so, then just now, where, where is CLD just now for you and um, how do you see it potentially changing in the future if you see it changing in the future? That's a big
1: question as well. Yeah, uh, It's difficult to answer just now, I think, in terms of the pandemic, man, and the uh, economic uncertainty. You know, certainly the economic uncertainty that I see ahead of us over the next few years, you know. I mean, on the, on the one hand, it's quite easy to be, easy to be a bit sort of Pollyannish about it because, you know, I see, you know, I work alongside the students, you know, and I, and what I see at the moment is just like lots of really motivated and passionate people coming through, you know, and it's like, I think that, you know, the future's in good hands in terms of, uh, in terms of the workforce if you like although we do need you know we do need more students coming through I think as a sector you know I think we need to be doing more to get more people coming through you know uh, but I guess on the other hand it's like you know I worry about the cuts and funding issues that are probably are not too far up the road Connor you know and mm-hmm. you know if I've learnt one thing in this field it's like you know we're, we're, we're quite often amongst the first to be cut you know I think community education is seen as quite superfluous you know even though it's at times of like economic strife that, you know, we're we're the most needed, you know, and it's like, yeah, we all know that, but do, you know, those with their fingers on the purse strings know that? I'm not so sure, you know, but yeah, so it's a difficult question to ask. I think I I personally think um, there's just too much uncertainty at the moment. You know, I think we don't know what's going to happen over the next couple of years. I think, you know, I can definitely see some major economic pain coming and, you know, and we often are at the, front end of that, you know, but I could be wrong and I hope I'm wrong, you know.
0: Yeah, same. I hope you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We'll we'll end it there. well <laughs> um, yeah, no. But I, I think you know it's a very difficult question. But I think you're totally right. We, we really don't know um, how this is, and also at the moment with the pandemic, we don't know in terms of cases, everything seems to rise um, just now. So it'll be interesting. It'll be an interesting couple of weeks. We'll be recording this in the 30th of August. So um, by the time this maybe airs, we don't know what maybe what position we'll potentially be in. So. Um, <laughs> yeah that that can also determine i suppose what we're doing and how we're able to work with um our clients or service users or learners or however we people. want to call it people <laughs> um <laughs> that's why. definitely man um so what we'll do now is this is the signature question that i put at the end of every podcast so um okay. and you probably answer this more often than not actually um so what advice would you give to someone who's looking to start a career in CLD?
1: I would say do it, yeah. I think, you know, we need good people in the sector. Uh, I think the thing for me is it's like, you know, having the, the experience on the other side of, like, in office environments and stuff like that is, you know, it's such a rewarding career. that, And importantly for me, it's got variety built into it, you know, and I think, you know, that was the kind of thing at the time is like I was going through the drudgery of an office and, job you know and it was just so repetitive and so dull and you know you go into you know i would go in and i would come out you know each you know each working day knackered and i'd be like i can't be bothered going to the youth club tonight you know because i'm so tired and just drained from just sitting at a desk all day and then i would go obviously i would go to the youth club and i'd always be so glad i did because you got so much energy from it just from working with young people you know even if you were taking abuse and getting pens thrown at you and so, stuff like that Connor, you know it's like it was just always i just i just enjoyed it so much you know and i and so I think in terms of that, I think there's a big thing to be said for it. But I think, yeah, I think the most important thing I would say is it's just about like, you know, being curious, man. You know, And I think this is the thing that's, that's kind of helped me is about just having a sort of curiosity to the world and never stop learning and always asking questions, you know. And I think the kind of key thing I would always, and this is something I say to all my students, man, is just that, you know, that we're advocates for those people that we work alongside. And it's, it's up to us to be able to make the arguments of why the people in the communities that we work with matter, you know, why their experiences matter, why their lives matter. And, and to be able to make those arguments, you know, we need to be as critically informed as we can, you know, because ultimately it's not really about us, man. You know, it's about the people in the communities that we work alongside. And we owe it to them to be as knowledgeable as we can, you know, to be that kind of curious to, to be that kind of curious individual, you know, and and to be able to kind of understand that kind of interplay between society, you know, the global, the local and the individual, you know. And that if we don't have that kind of curiosity, you know, and that critical understanding, it's very easy for us to kind of end up blaming individuals, you know. And our practice, I think, is really important for us to kind of move beyond the kind of shallow self-help stuff, you know, that we see around us all the time. Not to say that's completely un- unimportant, you know, but I think it's important for us to be able to understand the kind of root causes of why, issues, you know, issues such as poverty, poverty. Eh, inequality, discrimination, racism, ableism, homophobia, sexism, and all that kind of stuff persists, you know. And if I don't, you know, we can end up quickly feeding into that discourse which blames individuals as this kind of idea, you know, taking me back to the start of my kind of talk about, kind of talking about that idea that, you know, we're all the kind of sole arbiters of our own destiny, if you like, you know. So, and often, you know, the outcome measures that we work with, you know, can facilitate that kind of shallow kind of thinking, you know, how many people did I get into work this week? How many people did I get a job interview this week? You know, kind of talking back to my own experience, you know, without ever asking those questions about, you know, well, why is this young person unemployed? Why is there no decent work in this area for young people? Why are huge numbers of our young people being pushed into kind of de-standardized employment that leaves them at the mercy of kind of unscrupulous employers, you know, with, with kind of crap pay and crap conditions, you know? So I think, you know my advice for anybody is you know, is about having that kind of curiosity to kind of question things such as this, you know, and again, going back to what we were talking about, I suppose it's kind of all connected now is the idea about coming, you know, going to university can support this, but but you don't have to go to university, I think, to kind of have that kind of critical, curious spirit, you know, and I think it's that that I would say you should arm yourself with if you're looking to start a job in CLD because you know. You know, it's beholden on us to be, you know, there's a certain ethical responsibility, I think, on us as practitioners to be, you know, curious and to be critically informed, you know, to kind of really be able to kind of support the people that we are working with, but, you know, the most marginalized, the most disempowered kind of members of our society. You know, we've got a duty to them to be that kind of, you know, to have that critical spirit. Uh, anyway.
0: I'll get off my soapbox now, corner, Man, you know that was brilliant. No, it's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but you know, it's brilliant, man. Well, listen, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, it's, it's been oh, great. To, it's been great to meet you, and cheers for agreeing to come on. Um, so, where <laughs> yes, where can people find you and like social media if you want them to find you on social media and um, like <laughs> some university sites and whatever?
1: Yeah, well, I'm, I mean, yeah, so. Uh, I'm at Dundee University. I, I suppose the best way if you were going to find me would be to get me on Twitter, you know, because all my details there, my university profile's there as well. So it's at Old Man Mackey. That's uh, O-L-D-M-A-N-M-A-C-K-I-E, Old Man Mackey. It's a nickname I got for, uh, because of my music taste, uh, Old Man. Yeah, so it takes nice. us back to what we were first talking about. There's totally. been some nice kind of circular loops here, Connor? <laughs> it's
0: as if these things are planned. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, almost, almost that's
0: a belter man. I like that.
1: <laughs> yeah, please get in touch. If anybody, yeah. And if anybody wants to come to Dundee University, I should plug our university, you know, that we've got yeah. a great team. And if anybody's interested in coming to university, you know, we at Dundee have got lots and lots of options for people to study and work at the same time if they like. And yeah. So yeah, get in touch.
0: Brilliant. And what we'll do is um, we'll add links to Dundee University's website as well, where you can find more information if you want to. That'll be in the description. So, brilliant. Um, so, Perfect. brilliant, man. Listen, thanks very much again. um It's been a pleasure.
1: Well,
0: thank you, Connor. A, a pleasure.
1: Well. Yeah, pleasure
0: for me too, man. Brilliant. Cool. Cheers. Cheers, Dad. Thanks very much to Alan for joining us on this week's CLD Talks. And thank you, guys, for listening as always. Hope you've enjoyed this episode and you have learned something from the conversation that we've had here. To find us on Twitter, go to at CLD Talks, where you can take part in the conversation there and keep up to date with all podcast information. Thanks very much, and i will catch you next time.